Third Shift presents The Imposter's Guide to Gaming, your quick fix for gaming news. Here are your hosts, Eric and Matt. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to IG2G. This is episode 16. I'm your host, Matt. With me, as always, is Eric. And what are we talking about today? Oh, my goodness. We got all kinds of games. Are you a giant robot that likes stomping around on planets? Do you like having clones of yourself try and kill you? Oh, what's that about? I don't even know. Do you want to follow up from a last story? Or do you want to just shoot finger bullets? Do you want to kick a ball around? Do you want to drive a car? Do you want to have like a crazy cup on your head? I don't even know. And then for an extra 99 cents, you can unlock our big topic we're going to talk about later in the episode. Now, before we get into the releases, because we got so many, we got to mention right here, right now, that the SNES Classic is out. You've heard us talk about it on previous episodes. Here it is. It's live in the world. It's not a top five release, because there's just too many. Now, let's get into those right now. Top five releases. First up this week, we got FIFA 18. Hey, I talked about Pro Evo last time, so we got to talk about FIFA this time. This dropped on the 29th of September, developed by EA Canada and EA Romania. Who even knew there were game studios in Romania? I never knew that. Published by EA Sports. Duh. This dropped for PC, PS3, PS4, 360, Xbox One, and Switch. Every single system you could possibly imagine. Uh, I mean, it's FIFA, man. This one's got the full licenses and top-notch presentation, which Pro Evo didn't have, but it seems to have, you know, kind of not quite as good gameplay as Pro Evo. And, of course, this has the FIFA Ultimate Team. I've heard that the the pack opening, you know, when you do your microtransactions, hint for later in the show, microtransactions, and you're opening up your little FIFA loot packs. Oh, the pack opening animation is so much better this year. Everyone says it's so great. And, uh, you know, so FIFA Ultimate Team, that's the thing that when you get your account hacked by somebody in Europe and they spend all your money, that this is what they spend it on. Because that happened to me. So it might happen to you this year. Ha-ha, FIFA 18, everybody. <laughs> Thank you, FIFA, for stealing my money. Or I say motivating others to steal my money. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be outdone by kicking balls around on the ground. Next up, we've got Ruiner, developed by Rikon Games, published by... Devolver. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you're familiar with these guys, they always put out some crazy like games. This one is no different. It is a brutal action shooter, top-down version. And the whole setup here, the whole shtick, is you're some kind of leftover psychopath dude who is left behind to die. You get revived by some hacking chick, and she says, Hey, man. You should go find your brother or revenge your brother. Ho, 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 whatever. It doesn't matter. Who needs a real story anyway? I hope that's not what she actually says to you. I don't know. Go do a thing. (laughs) Whatever. Who cares? Oh, okay. No, No, she says go get revenge for your brother. He doesn't know what's going on. He just starts picking up guns, and you go down and you start murdering fools and... uh, you know, hopefully get the bad guy. It's a pretty simple tale. Now, the cool part is they've got like little skill trees that you can constantly redo. So that way, if you get in a particular fight or an area that is giving you trouble, it kind of forces you to switch up your whole game mm-hmm. to deal with that particular scenario. So it's very brutal. It's very difficult, very challenging. And uh, if you want to get into it, hey, be my guest. It's real bloody, though. So definitely be careful. And you're going, hey, Eric. What's this even out on? I don't know. Who knows? It's on the PS4 and freaking, uh, whatever that thing is. What is that? A PC? Yeah, that's what it is. All right. So there you go. Go catch it. It's out now. Have a blast. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Next up, this might be number one, but it's my list. I, I'm taking charge. I don't even care. Next up is Forza Motorsport 7. This dropped on the 3rd, which is exactly when the episode drops. Oh, my goodness. How crazy. Woo! For the Xbox One and PC, developed by Turn 10 and published by Microsoft Studios, it's Forza. If you don't know Forza by now, there's been seven games. What's wrong with you? Have you never heard of Forza? You're driving a car around a bunch of racetracks. You're driving all kinds of cars around all kinds of racetracks. You can kind of like manage it between sim and arcade a little bit, I believe, in the settings, but it's mostly like a driving sim. You're driving around. You're taking first place. You're winning more money to buy more cars, to access more races. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. It's one of the biggest racing franchises on the planet. Now, I have heard people complaining about this one a little bit because they've changed the VIP mode in it. Before, if you paid money, oh, a microtransaction, to be a VIP, you would get like permanent double credits for every race you win. So you get double rewards and unlock stuff faster and faster. 
Now they've changed it. So if you're a VIP, you get, I think it's like 25 bonuses, but they're only available for a limited time, not like lifetime. And then this one's also got loot box systems. So, you know, you buy loot boxes for right now only with in-game currency. And that unlocks, you know, your driver outfits, your car paints, all this other kind of cool stuff. Your boosts that make the individual races harder, but give you better rewards for it. So, you know, it's a loot box system and will probably be with real money soon. So another microtransaction, hint, hint, hint. What are we going to talk about later in the show? (laughs) But then outside of that, it's still Forza. It's still gorgeous. It still plays great. So if you're a driving nut and you have one of those two systems that it's out on, Go pick up some Forza, man. Beautiful. I like it. Next up, we've got Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. This one's had a whole bunch of crazy huss-fuss surrounding it, but let me go through the basics. It was developed and published by Capcom. It was released on September 19th for the wonderful PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and, of course, PC. Now, if you guys don't know, hey, guess what? It's it's Marvel vs. Capcom. They've got a what? whole... Yeah, it's crazy, right? It's, it's in the title. They've got all characters from these two universes meshing together in some wacky story that brings them together for some odd or freaking reason. Who knows? It's always different, but it's generally the same. So the big Hufflepuff is that the character animations in this one are ridiculous and not at all what people want. Mm -hmm. So everyone's up in arms about it. However, on the opposite end of that, the gameplay itself and the mechanics of it all are superb. Yeah. So everyone's kind of going back and forth. They're mad about the animations. They're happy about the gameplay. And then they're also saying, hey, where the hell are the X-Men? Mm-hmm. Apparently because of some licensing, uh, licensing. oh, man, I can't say oh, licensing. Oh, boy, here we go. Apparently because of some licensing issues, et cetera, et cetera, like uh, the classic Magneto, Wolverine, Storm, they're gone. Mm-hmm. They've been replaced by some other characters like Gamora, uh who was a couple more? I know Gamora was one of the new ones in there. The Bionic Commando dude from the reboot yes, is in there. Yes, exactly. Yep, yep, yep. And a couple others. So, I mean, some decent replacements, but apparently people are still upset because those were just classic go-tos mm-hmm. when it came to the you know tournament and having a good time, et cetera, et cetera. I've been watching quite a little bit of gameplay on this just because these kind of games like really... Uh, you know, they really strike me as fun, and I always want them. Mm-hmm. But since they never quite make that top of the list for me, I just never buy them. Yeah. And it looks great, and even though the art style is not in any way, shape, or form what it was, I don't think it's too bad. It doesn't bug me, but that's also because I'm not someone who's just in that world mm-hmm. caring about it You know, 24-7. So I could totally understand everyone's perspective on how they want the old art style back instead of this new one. Yeah, ever since Marvel vs. Capcom 3, the art style has gone... I mean, it's, it hasn't been 2D sprites, which has been my mainstay, you know, all the time mm-hmm. growing up. Yeah. So ever since that, it's turned me off. So this one is pretty much more of the same for me. I mean, it is, it does look good in its own way, but it's not what I would want either. And then a couple of the other Hufflepuffs that I've heard is that this is down like to a, a 2v2 tag instead of 3v3. So you don't have assists going through, but you get really quick tags and swaps between your characters. So it is a little bit different in the overall systems. And then we're talking about characters. There are 30 right now, but they've been saying that only six of them are not taken right over from Marvel versus Capcom 3, and only four of them are brand new characters. Now, the mm-hmm. I think the new DLC pack of characters is coming in fresh on the way. But they've said that there's no way to unlock that via like in-game currency, so you're definitely going to have to spend money on that. So that's also concerning slash sad, especially since there are so few brand new characters in the base game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. That was what they were talking about, and of course, then the missing characters. But overall, it's still coming out to some pretty good reviews. Looks like a, a solid fighting title. If you're interested, it is out in stores now. And then number one for me, because it's my list and I can do what I want, dropping on the 26th of September, it's Danganronpa V3 Killing Harmony, developed by Spike Chunsoft and published by NIS America. This dropped for PC, PS4, and Vita. 
And it's more Danganronpa if you love the first two because they came out as a double pack on PS4 and Vita and all that other good stuff. It's more of that. It's adding in more systems, more ways to interact with your classmates slash jury as you're trying to solve these murders and figure out who really did it. Apparently you're like, you know, you're throwing people's lies back against them. You're lying to them to get them to provide even more information. You're having big group debates, all kinds of crazy new stuff, all kinds of crazy new systems. Art still looks gorgeous. You know, it's it's more Spike Chunsoft. It's more Danganronpa. Go grab it up if you're interested in those. Number five. First topic up today is a very, very cool topic here, Matt. Okay? Oh, yeah. This game, I wish somehow me and you had lots of money and we could just afford titles and games that we want all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because this would be one that I wish would just come to me in my mailbox one day, magically for free, and I could play it. And that, boys and girls, is Cuphead. Yes, Cuphead. What? What the hell are you talking about? Oh, my God. Well, okay, let me tell you about this game. It's developed by Studio MDHR Entertainment, published by these same individuals. It's a game that's been long in development. Oh, yeah. Okay? Very long in development. Went through several iterations, all sorts of kerfuffle behind if it's ever going to actually make it to launch or not. And then, of course, they did the whole, hey, you can't actually check this game out and review it or do anything until it's actually out in the wild. So the reviews have been coming in late because no one's been able to actually play it and tell anybody about it until just now. The game was released September 29th. Now here's the kicker and here's the sad part. For the... Obviously PC because everything's freaking PC. Well, see, that's you know. not a sad part. You get you got a new PC coming. Well, in the when mail my tomorrow. new PC comes in tomorrow, then maybe yes. Exactly. But for now, it's a sad part because you know, and then I'd also have to buy the pro a controller for the PC, just because you know I'm not used to using the uh, keyboard, mouse, anything mm-hmm. like that anymore. But it, it is also out for the Xbox One. I do not own an Xbox One though, so once again. Wish I could just win a Taco Bell game or get one of them new Xboxes or something. There you go. Just eat Taco <laughs> Bell for every meal, dude. Yeah, because yeah, I want to kill myself. Uh-huh. Yes, exactly. Anyways, enough bullcrap. Let's uh, talk about the game. This is a homage to the old school 2D side-scrolling, boss-fighting, brutal mania that was our childhood. If you remember playing the classic Nintendo and some of the uh, Super NES slash Sega games, you'll remember boss fights that were just meticulous, stuff happening on screen. You had to just be aware of every single microscopic stinking little pixel moving because if you didn't, it killed you. And then you started over. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. Well, that's this. In Cuphead, you are a, well, Mr. Cuphead. You're this little guy. He points his fingers, he shoots little bullets, you get several different bullet modes. So like you get a spread arc, you get a straight shot, etc. etc. You know the deal. There's two different modes. One is run and gun, which has you just going across the stage as fast as you can. Enemies are dropping in, coming up out of the ground, doing all sorts of stuff, and you're just shooting your way through them, moving across, getting to the end. Hooray, you win. Yep. The second one, and the one that everyone's excited and pumped about is the boss battle. Mm -hmm. You come in, and immediately you're fighting a boss. That's just what you do. There he is. You start figuring out his mechanics. He's going up inside, you know, up, down, shooting things out. You're dipping, diving. You got different abilities like shrinking to being small, you know, this and that. A ton of fun. It looks extremely hard. Mm -hmm. Apparently they've got two modes. It's simple and normal. Yeah. And they obviously said that normal is the way they want you to play. They said they included simple, but it's not what they intended the game to be. So, you know, take that what you will. Mm -hmm. If you just want to see it to see it, go ahead and do simple. But if you want the true experience, play it on normal. Suck it up. Yeah. So, you know, Barney Basic game. I just wanted to mention it and bring it up today because it looks like a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. It it's only a few hours long. I've been hearing in the like eight range. Well, it's so hard that it probably stretches out into the eight range. Well, that's what I mean. Like for people who are really good at that type of game, mm-hmm. you're only talking you know five six hours. But I have heard eight to ten hours as well. Although if you're good at like shoot 'em up games, which you would have to be good at to you know be really good at these, 
those you could blast through in like 20 minutes, especially the old exactly. ones. Exactly. Oh, I remember, here's where they come from the top and the bottom. This is what the boss does, and just breeze through it. So, I mean, mm-hmm. even a handful of hours is pretty darn good. No, I'm not complaining whatsoever. You know, this is the type of game that only needs to be five, ten hours. Mm-hmm. You don't need any more than that. And there's tons of games back in the day that used to always be that and still are today. So it's not that's not an issue whatsoever. But I want to get a hold of this. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like I said, I have a PC, well, coming anyway, because the old one blew up. But I don't have an Xbox, and I don't really feel like buying a controller. So it's one of those games I've kind of been watching some gameplays and Let's Plays, but... I really want to get my hands on it and kind of just test my old school 2D skills. Mm. But uh, I have to wait, I think. Now, a couple things that I want to mention that you passed over is one thing that was really cool is I know during the development of it, they were saying that they wanted to set the world record for number of bosses in a game with this one because I think the old record was 25 and they were shooting for about 30. Not 100% sure if they got it or not, but I have heard that DLC will be coming for it. It will add... Five to ten more bosses per chunk of DLC. So that's pretty cool. And speaking of the bosses, I heard that this has a really, really cool, like, I mean, obviously boss fight system. But the thing is that they don't have health bars, like, on the screen. So you're just shooting them, shooting them, shooting them, shooting them. The bosses are evolving as they're going through different phases. They got new attacks, new animations they do, new this, this, that. But I've heard that when you die fighting a boss, it'll show you what percentage... It pulls up a little mini-map, and then it has your little cuphead dude run across all the little check marks that you accomplished. Mm-hmm. So it'll show you, yes, like you were saying, whether you're 5%, 10%, you know, et cetera, all the way up to 100%. Mm-hmm. And then, you didn't even say it, this is probably the coolest and most beautiful art style I've seen in a game in a long-ass time. It's that old 1930s cartoon aesthetic where it's it's really beautiful, but at the same time somewhat creepy, just because those old cartoons are a little unnerving, personally for me. But it is, I mean, all the animation is fluid and smooth. This literally looks like nothing else out there in video games, at least as far as I'm aware. It's just crazy, and it's gorgeous, and all the... All the bosses, all the characters really look like they're coming to life in a way that, you know, like I've said, no other characters in games have in forever. I would say even if you have no interest in playing this yourself, this uh, old school type of game has no appeal to you, go look at some gameplays because like Matt just said, the art in it is phenomenal. It's like that old, like you said, the 1930s Mickey Mouse, that kind of whole aesthetic Mm -hmm. and I don't know, I think it is universal because it is unnerving to me as well. Yeah. I you know I'm watching gameplay and some of these bosses and it's just like uh creepy. I just want to choke you and get you out of here. I don't mm-hmm. I don't want you around me. Don't look at me with the weird eyes. <laughs> <laughs> don't spit cannonballs out of your weird mouth, you crazy boat person thing. Ooh. Exactly. <laughs> but it looks it looks phenomenal. It plays phenomenal. Uh, some people are saying the run and gun is uninspired, not really the the cat's meow, but that the boss battles is where it shines. Yeah. And that was kind of supposed to be the whole shtick of the game anyway, so it makes perfect sense that that's the case. I will say, though, even watching it, it makes it look like more of a fleshed-out world. If it was just, hey, you just dropped in fighting bosses, it'd be like, well, you know, that's cool, which obviously they've done a great job with it, but it doesn't make it like make the world seem alive. I've, I've only seen a little bit of gameplay of the side-scrolling bit, but, you know, he's going through a forest and all the, the birds and snakes and all the other little enemies are animated that same way. It makes it feel like it's a, it's a universe or a world that you're traversing versus mm-hmm. just, hey, here's the scene where you fight the boss and here's the scene where you fight the other boss. It makes it feel connected. It makes it feel like it's a, it's a living, breathing 1930s cartoon world that you're in. Yeah, and I should mention that the how you get from uh, stage to stage is through an overworld that's similar to Super Mario World. Yeah. So you'll kind of just traverse that in Super Mario World style, and you'll see little characters there, and you can talk to them, and they'll tell you a little bit about why you're going and doing what you're doing or what's up ahead of you. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you walk over to the stage, click it, and then you can enter it. And it'll tell you whether it's a running gun or a boss battle, so you can prepare accordingly. Nice. Nice. So check this game out, everybody, if that's something that interests you. And even if it doesn't, like we said, go look at it anyway because we think you'll dig the art style. Number four. Now, as I promised in the intro, as I've been talking about on Third Shift Proper for the last two weeks, I've actually got a follow-up to the PewDiePie story that I did last week, where he said a racial slur on the air, and the developers of Firewatch issued a DMCA 
copyright strike against his playthrough of Firewatch because they didn't like the way, you know, he would make money off of their game. They didn't feel it was morally right, blah, blah, blah. All the other stuff that comes with that we discussed on the last episode of IG2G. Now there's a follow-up to it because all of PewDiePie's fans and all kinds of, you know, righteous campaigners all over the world went, we don't like that they're able to do that. We don't support that. So they went and review-bombed Firewatch on Steam, saying, oh, man, if you want to support a really crappy developer who likes to do whatever they want, oh, you can buy this game, but I'm giving it a thumbs down. All these, you know, thumbs down ratings on, on Steam for poor old Firewatch. And if you know Steam, on the game's page, it has a user review kind of overall rating. So it went from very positive, which it has been in the past, because, I mean, it's a great game, everyone should play it. This review bombing dropped it all the way down to mixed reviews. And so it's kind of been this thing of, you know, well, what's Steam going to do about that? Should they or shouldn't they curate these reviews? What are the steps they're going to take? And they've said that they feel like even though review bombing is, you know, it's not related to the game itself in most ways, Steam kind of released a blog statement, which I think they were a little bit too political about but they said well you know if a developer does do something after the game's launched and you've played it it can affect your overall enjoyment of the game so they feel like it is sort of valid in a certain way so one of the suggestions was maybe remove that overall user score user review score from the game's page because i mean it's just user reviews if you want to know about it you can click in and see them anyway without the average being displayed. But they said, no, they're not going to do that because it's been a highly requested thing in the past, and so they feel like even if they did it because of this, people would still clamor for it anyway, which we can talk more about that. Yeah. I don't I don't like review scores anyway, so meh. See, it, I've always been a fan of doing exactly that, separating user reviews versus site reviews or professional, whatever you want to call them, reviews, mm-hmm. because to me... I'll go to the professional reviews I, as a whole. I don't like looking at singular reviews myself just because yeah. it's a review. It's done by one person, and you're like, okay, well, if that one person doesn't enjoy that type of game generally, they're going to miss all sorts of cues that would make this game actually amazing, mm-hmm. and they don't see it or care. But I feel that user reviews, if in the right context, not this context where they're f- purposely bombing something, mm-hmm. I like those better because it's generally people who enjoy this genre of game saying what they thought of the game and then you get kind of a better lookout or you know yeah I'm, I'm kind of of two minds about this because there's games that i like that users or fans of that series will rate higher than a professional will like the dynasty warriors games if i look at user reviews for that because it's generally fans of the series but there's also games that you know, are technically great and professional reviewers love them, but regular Joes will go, oh, I don't know, I don't get it. It's kind of arty, it's a walking sim, blow 0.0 out of 10. Hmm. So I, I'm of two minds about it. I don't like, I don't know, on a platform like Steam, I feel like if I'm looking at a game, I can tell from the trailer, from the screenshots, from the videos, whether I'm going to like it or not. So a user review score really doesn't do anything for me. Overall... They're saying they're not going to separate user from professional, correct? They don't have professional reviews. Oh, this they is, just have this a... This is just user reviews. Just yeah. a user review, okay. And you can, you can give it like a thumbs up or a thumbs down and then write out some paragraphs as to why. Okay. Yeah, that wouldn't fix or solve anything then because they'd have to create a whole new system, which would be ridiculous for this one thing. Yeah. yeah. I agree with that. <laughs> then the other thing that they were asked about is, you know, when there is a review bombing situation... Could you maybe like freeze the review until it all blows over? Kind of like, hey, you've got like a 14-day waiting period on posting more negative reviews because we've got 18,000 of them. And they said, no, we're not going to do that because we still think even after any kind of waiting period or lockout or blowout, there are still going to be people who come in and give it negative reviews and drop the overall score anyway, so might as well just let them do it whenever they want. Again, I'm kind of, I understand it from both sides, but in, let's say, three to six months, is anyone going to remember this whole PewDiePie thing? No, No, they're not. not They're not going to go on and go, oh, hey, remember? Remember half a year ago when he said a bad thing and they blah, 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 blah? Nobody's going to remember. Nobody remembers anything in this world. So I I feel like that whole point is just invalid. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I agree with that whole system. But just censoring it all, though, is bad overall. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, 
I, I agree that it would be nice sometimes to pause, but I don't know. I just feel like that's not the right answer because then everyone's going to petition you to pause for everything. Yeah. And all of a sudden, every game's going to, oh, you have to wait because uh, IGN, you know, for example, gave it this thing and said this stupid thing that makes no sense. And everyone's agreeing with it because they don't even know, you know. And, yeah. And all of a sudden, it's just ridiculous. Hmm. So we've heard two things that they're not going to do. What are they going to do? Well, what they are going to do is if you click on the user review, you know, label or score of very positive, mixed, any of those things, it'll show you like a graph over time of the reviews going up and down and up and down. So you can click on either positive or negative reviews from that period of time, and it'll give you a sampling of the reviews. So you can see what kind of reviews people are posting and why they're doing it. And I think this is actually a pretty cool system because I checked it out on a couple games myself. And you can really see, you know, the the big dip around when this happened and a lot of people saying, oh, man, you know, the developer, blah, 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 versus if it's a game that's been had solid reviews over time, you can see that. It's just generally positive. There's no big dip into negative. It's kind of cool. I enjoy the system. I still think they could do more about this specific situation but I like it overall. From what you're explaining on that one, I think that's a good way to do it because then you can kind of go timestamp areas. So if you're in the gaming world, you can be like, okay, I know this whole stupid event happened, so everybody's over here being ridiculous. Let me go look at this time period where I'm going to get an accurate gauge, Hmm. and you just walk away with what you need. That's beautiful. And then we've talked about the systems for a lot, so I don't want to go too much into it. You know, we talked a lot about the situation that brought this about, whether developers can and should be able to retaliate against content creators who do things that they don't like. Now, internet people are retaliating against the game because the developer, like a year after release, did something they don't like. I feel like this is just another one of those situations where, hey, we let the internet do something. You know, we're letting them post reviews up to help other people, and now it's kind of just, hey, we let the internet do something, and they're they're using it for purposes we didn't intend, and they're ruining it. Nefarious purposes. Yeah. Yeah, that's the internet. I would just say, internet, nefarious. Yeah, you know, we just. <laughs> that's just what you say. It's how the world works. <laughs> uh-huh. I don't like it. I mean, I sort of understand it in a way, but at the same time. Don't bash the product for what one of the people did way afterwards, but I don't know. This is just one of those, again, it's one of those weird situations. Maybe this isn't the internet for me. I I don't know. (laughs) It's never been been the internet for anybody, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) It used to be. I remember way back in the day, the internet was just wonderful and great. Well, that was a long time ago, sir. It's moved on. The world has moved on, and the internet with it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's very true. So if you guys want more details, the you know the people from Valve did put up a blog post all about this. There's an article on it. I believe it was on Gama Sutra that I saw it. So all kinds of people have been writing and talking about this and debating back and forth. I think what Steam is doing is a good thing. I think it's probably the best they can do at this point in time. You know, The review bombing situation itself, if it doesn't work itself out eventually by people just giving up their righteous internet anger. I think there's even more they could do about it. But that's just me. So let, let me know what you guys think. Doodle do. Number three. So this game is another one I'm going to be checking out because it's made by my boys, Runic Games, published and developed. And if you don't know who these guys or gals are, they are a branch off of what was the old Diablo team and, of course, some new people along the way. And they brought you Torchlight and Torchlight 2, which were both fantastic Diablo-esque type games that did did not in any way get enough love, in my opinion. They were a lot of fun. I played both of them, enjoyed both of them. And uh, they uh, they said they wanted to move on, do something a little bit different, and that is in the form of this new game, Hob, which was released for PlayStation 4 and Windows as of September 26, 2017. Now, what the whole game's about here, beautiful, beautiful artwork, by the way, beautiful, just colors everywhere, popping, and the whole story starts out, kids sitting around doing a little thing, petting a giraffe, Boom, arm gets chopped off, he goes, passes out, a robot comes and rescues him, gives him his arm, so now he's got this huge, cool bionic arm, finds out that the world's in danger, he's got to save it, ta-da, here you go. So, mm-hmm. you start off with this cool bionic arm, which can do grappling hook abilities, shoots out like 
uh, electricity, it can push and shove blocks, it can bust through walls, that sort of thing. All the things you think a, a big robotic arm could do. You also end up with a sword that you can upgrade through the skill system, and then it lets you loose. Now, the beauty of this is beyond some general pointing by your robot companion and a couple subtle hints and things here and there, mm. the game lets you just go. So you're just amidst this world trying to figure out the puzzles. And if you didn't guess by now, it's an action-adventure type game. Yeah. So, you know, Zelda-esque, you know, you're going around, oh, look, it looks like there's a crack in the wall. Bust this, move this over here, and we move forward, get the switch, pull it, that type of game. So being that it doesn't give you a lot of hints comes the frustration for some in that there will be one thing that you miss and you have to go around this entire area just looking and scouring over it to find the one switch you missed, the one bad guy that you were supposed to get an engagement with and you, you and you didn't get to somehow. So for some, that's frustrating after a while and you can't figure it out. But for others, you know, that's just once again a whole homage to old school gaming when True. you just had to go through an era, area and go over it, you know, piece by piece by piece by piece by piece. And the graphics and the artwork are so awesome that I personally will have no issue doing this. Yeah. It looks gorgeous. And the way they have the world flowing together, like there's a, a piece when you uh, unlock it, this whole the whole world in front of you that you're on shifts, and then a whole another level just comes into a forefront there. Nice. And it just looks great. And then, of course, you'll move to the next stage. I'm, I'm doing little air quotes because mm-hmm. they're kind of like, in, you know, as I've been explaining, chunks. And you'll go through that area, and then you'll move to the next area, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I did hear, however, through the grapevine that the frame rates sometimes dip very heavily in this, like during combat with multiple enemies, mm-hmm. and that it can be a hindrance because you will literally just, like, jump, and you'll be dead because, of course, they'll have hit you and they oh, enter yeah. while you're not there. And that's frustrating. And it shouldn't be there, but it is. Uh, one can hope with the world the way it is nowadays that they'll patch that and fix it up later. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt they will because, once again, I have faith in Runic Games. They put out some really good stuff. The music is spot on, and if you don't know, it's made by Matt. I'm going to chop up his last name, Ullman. It's U-E-L-M-E-N, Ullman. Okay. I think that's right. Anywho, he's the individual who composed the soundtrack for the original Diablo. Oh, nice. So, if you don't know, Diablo's soundtrack was phenomenal. And from what I'm hearing, it's phenomenal in this as well. Cool. So, it's a game that's on my radar. I really want to check out. It's been getting pretty positive scores around the books. Uh, The combat's pretty smooth. I I do hear that the camera angles can sometimes get a little janky in some spots, but I don't think that's too big of a deal. Mm -hmm. And other than that. Just a solid game, all in all. I would uh, say if you like Zelda, like those types of games at all, go take a peek, go watch a Let's Play because this one looks like a sure hit. Number two. Next up, it's the return of Matt's Indie Game Showcase. Oh, yeah. Here we go. I got another two pack for you guys. First up this week, we got Jet Omero, Hero of the Universe, developed and published by Ghost Time Games for PC and Xbox One. This is a. Really stylish, really cool, really kind of a chill vibe. You're a giant robot that kind of like pops into existence or he his memory pops in and he's like, hmm, what am I doing out here floating out here in the universe? What's going on? Oh, there's a planet over there. Let me go look at it. You rocket off to this planet and you're kind of trying to figure out in this procedurally generated universe who you are, where you came from, what became of the people who created you. There you go. That's it. In this game, you're blasting from planet to planet. They're like little, small, you know, orb-sized planets, kind of in a Super Mario Galaxy type of vibe. Mm-hmm. You're wandering around these planets. They have little cities on them. So you're basically this big, clumsy, kind of dopey-looking kind of robot. The only thing that comes to mind when I see him walking around is like a small child. He kind of like toddles around because he's this big, <laughs> unwieldy thing. So he's going through these, all through these planets, all through these solar systems, you know, trying to unearth facts and, you know, histories of what's going on while at the same time there's all these little cities on there. So if you accidentally knock over buildings, he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Hey, I'm just here trying to help. Oh, my goodness, what's going on? And as you're blasting around, you find other giant robots who immediately attack you. 
and then you do a little quick time button battle to defeat them. When you do that, your you know your laser eyes, you do like a tug of war laser stream battle, kind of Dragon Ball Z style. And once you defeat it, it the laser eyes kind of overcharge your system, and it accesses a new memory that you see in like comic book style about what happened to the humans, what happened to Earth, and you know the story progresses from there as you're blasting off through all kinds of different solar systems, all kinds of different planets, exploring, unearthing new stuff. It's it's really got this cool like comic book style art. It's kind of like heavy in the shadows, nice high contrast style. The music is super chill and super cool, right up my alley. Just a nice chill, you know, explore around, figure out what happened to the humans, and have kind of a goofy, fun little time with Jetamero. Sounds freaking bananas, man. Mm-hmm. And speaking of bananas, next up, we got Echo, developed and published by Ultra Ultra, which is a studio in Copenhagen, Denmark, which apparently has some cast-offs from IO Interactive. So that's oh, pretty nice. cool, seeing those guys land somewhere else. But in this game, it's a, I believe it's kind of like future sci-fi setting. There's a whole backstory I won't get into, but you're a girl who's in this facility, and you're wandering around, and there's bright lights everywhere. And as you're wandering, exploring this facility, you see this, you know, you eventually see these goops on the floor. And then, you know, wandering around, what's that goop? I don't know. Lights go off as this whole system of this facility reboots. Lights come back on. Now the piles of goop are clones of you, and they're trying to kill you. And basically their only ability at first is they can walk towards you and choke you. So if they get to you, they'll choke you, you'll die. The interesting thing about this game is is that while the lights are on, anything you do, the robots can do after the system reboots. So if the robots are just kind of wandering around and the system sees you like leap over a chest-high wall or run through water or shoot your gun or crouch and sneak, when the system reboots and the rooms go dark... When it comes back on, now the robots can climb over chest-high walls. They can walk through water. They can shoot a gun. They can crouch and sneak. So basically, you want to teach them to shoot the very first time because that way they can just murder you and then you lose, right? Well, that's the interesting thing oh, okay. is you, okay. you really have to figure out what you're going to do while the lights are on that you can teach them, that you can use against them, or that you can use in a certain way you know, now I know they can sneak around, so now I know what to look out for when I do it the next time. Now everything you do when the lights are off, that it doesn't get recorded. So if you wait for the next system reboot, say there's like a guard in front of a door. There's a clone walking back and forth in front of a door. If you wait for the next system reboot, you can run up, snap its neck, or shoot it, or whatever. Then when the lights come back on, nobody saw that happen. So they don't have those abilities. So it's it's really this, you know... I need to get here, I need to do this, I need to do it fast. What can I do that won't endanger me super hard in the very next go-around? Basically, try to be minimalistic in the daytime when they're watching and learning, and mm-hmm. then go all out in the, the nighttime or the reboot, so that way they're not learning anything that could mm-hmm. harm you or screw you over come the next time. And the other interesting thing is... Each reboot clears the data from the last one. So if you did go all out, run and gun, guns blazing, jumping all around, and you know they come back with those abilities, if you can survive that time without doing all of those things again, it'll wipe their memories and they'll go back to whatever it was you were doing. I mean, specific exam- examples I did say is they, they won't go in water unless they see you do it. So you can, you know, if it goes dark, cross the water, then they're on the other side. You don't have to worry about them. But it's just, I thought it was really interesting, really cool systems. I've heard that it, you know, once you know how to do stuff, you can kind of get away with it. It's a system it's, that's easy to exploit. But it does provide all these really cool scenarios. Like, I was watching somebody play, and they were sitting in an, at an elevator with the platform going up and down with a, a robot standing there staring at the door. So when the elevator went up, they ran up, snapped his neck, and threw it down the hole. They rode the platform back up, got out of the elevator, stood there for a couple seconds, like looking around, deciding what to do. And in that time, a, a, a clone of them ran up, snapped his neck, and threw him down the elevator shaft. It was really cool. <laughs> I've heard a lot of good stuff about this, so go check that out if you guys are interested. It's on PC only for right now, but a PS4 port is coming sometime in October, I believe, is what they said. So I'm looking forward to getting my hands on it. Yeah, sounds pretty interesting, man. You got me wanting to go check that out now. Number one. Well, what do you know, Matt? We've made it to the final topic of the day, 
And as promised, and as guessed by many of you, it's microtransactions. Dun, 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 dun. So everyone's talking about it. It's all over the place now. If you're in the video game world at all, you've heard it come up somewhere in the forums or podcasts, whatever you listen to or watch. It's the fact that more and more games are coming out with these microtransactions that alter the way you play. You know, they add new new guns, new looks, new uh, cards, items, etc. Ways in which you can improve your play style, you can improve the way you, you know, get through the game if you choose to. Obviously, you don't have to buy any of this. But for those who have the money or want to spend the money, they can get a definite step up or just look cooler and all this other garbage. So I thought we'd just talk a little bit about on our perspective on microtransactions in general, both the kind of impact direct gameplay and just cosmetic stuff all the way on to whatever. It's kind of an open discussion, so mm-hmm. bear with us. I just figured we'd give our two cents on it and uh, see where we end up with it. And we'll start with you, Matt. What do okay. you think? generally and then we'll go into more descript here i think in general i don't have a problem with microtransactions as long as it's not a like a competitive gameplay environment and the microtransactions give you a significant boost like if oh i can you know download for a buck a speed boost or an attack boost for the next 15 games and just pay to win basically as long as it's not pay to win i don't really mind it that much i mean i've talked before about playing league of legends that's got cosmetic unlocks you can buy with real money you can unlock champions with real money but you can't give them like i said an attack boost you can get xp boost to level yourself up faster but that doesn't affect the actual in the game it affects your like you know your command rank basically so you have access to more things in the games like overarching system versus in the actual gameplay that's my only overall beef with microtransactions is if if you're in a competitive environment and it gives you a boost over other players that's my only overall beef and we can get into more stuff later but what about you overall thoughts i don't have a problem with microtransactions i am in the same boat for the most part that i don't like ones that affect gameplay but cosmetic stuff hey whatever works yeah. now the tricky part is and this happens you know i can direct talk, talk directly to this one because i play it all the time is destiny 2 so they they have, obviously, microtransactions in this. Yeah. And for the most part, it's just cosmetics, shaders, things like that. But they have ships, which also are just cosmetic, but they have sparrows as well. Now, the sparrows can, you know, the exotic sparrows, they go a little bit faster than the other sparrows. And this is where it gets kind of like, eh, mm-hmm. iffy. Because, yeah, for the most part, it's just cosmetic. It's not that big of a deal. But on the other end of it, that's that sparrow goes a little bit faster than everybody else's sparrow that doesn't have that. Mm. And then some will argue, well, you can get them in game. They, you know, they are awarded through chests and just random drops, et cetera, et cetera. But if Johnny Bobo's got five bucks, he can just go buy one right off the bat. Now he's rocking out that little bit of extra speed and getting where he needs to go a little bit quicker. And this does affect things because, just for example. Say you're doing a strike and you know you can skip a whole area of baddies, right? Well, if he's got that speeder that's a little bit quicker, he gets on it, he zips off. Now he's just cruising through. By the time he's you know through, they don't even know what's happening, and all of a sudden they're just shooting you two slower fools in mm-hmm. the back, and you guys are dying. He's laughing and going, ha-ha, why can't you keep up? Well, that's technically an in-game advantage, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that definitely feels like that. We're going to dip our toes in the water of just a touch. I mean, it's not overall pay to win, mm-hmm. but it's it's you're sneaking right up on that edge. Exactly. It's it becomes questionable. And the problem that you hear everywhere now in FIFA and uh NBA 2K or what is it? NBA 2K, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. NBA 2K, uh Shadows of Mordor, the other games are doing it too, but these are the ones that have been the you know the news, the hot little shticks mm-hmm. lately. Is it starting to edge closer and closer and closer to just hey, you pay us money, we give you direct upgrades that'll make you faster, stronger, have a better roster, quicker. Yeah. You know, and one of them, one of them actually unlocks the entire roster like immediately. 
Mm-hmm. So instead of having to go through, earn it, and get the players, you know, just by beating the campaigns and beating the story modes and doing this and doing that and getting certain objectives, you just get it all. And now you have it. And some yeah. would say that's not an advantage because if you just play the game and have a good time, you'll get these things. However, I'd, I would say that, hey, if I have it from day one, I've got it. Every single character, every single squad or roster, I do have an advantage because I'm yeah. going to have teams and players, et cetera, or whatever it is, that make me a little bit better than you until you can you know, get it via the normal means. Now, I'm of two minds on this one because if it's just, say, Shadows of Mordor, which I don't think has a direct you know, competition mode where your horde goes against no. somebody else's horde. But, I mean, I, I could be wrong, but if it's a single-player game and you want to pay an extra 20 bucks, just unlock everything so you don't have to grind at it in the game. More power to you. I mean, I don't have a problem with that. But if we're talking about, like we talked about FIFA with the ultimate team mode, I know that has a mode where you take your ultimate team, play against someone else's ultimate team, and play, and I don't know if you earn credits or in-game rewards or whatever if you win or lose that. That's, again, another one of those systems where there's direct competition there. He paid 600 bucks, you know, to open a million packs, get all the best players. Now he's stomping me and I have no chance. That's where I have the issue. There's systems like this. I think even Metal Gear Solid Five had this, where you could buy in-game coins to like reduce the the research time of items or get certain upgrades faster. And for the single-player game, again, I don't have any problem with that. Do whatever you want. Now they also had like a you build up your base and people online can invade it. You can invade other people's bases. If he spent all his money to research all his base stuff super fast, and I go in there and I have no chance on you know day three, four, five, or eight, you know early game days, that's that's kind of where it gets iffy again, because you know if I'm screwed over just because he paid a thousand dollars, it feels kind of it feels like you don't want to play anymore. Yeah. So you're kind of like, what the hell? And then, of course, correction, the uh, the new one, Shadow of War. Mordor, Middle-Earth, Shadow of War, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first one was right. Shadow of Mordor, I believe. So there's a correction on that. The second one's the mm-hmm. one, and you are correct. It does have uh, in-game content that allows you to basically just buy the different characters, buy the different mm-hmm. things. And I'm, I'm, I'm fully with you. Like, who, who cares? It's a single-player yeah. game. If you don't want to go grind for all that stuff, why does it matter if you get it and you know achieve all the things you want to do and you know unlock the trophies or whatever? It's all for you. If you want to spend five hundred bucks doing that for yourself, then hey, more power to you. If you got five hundred bucks, do it. And if you don't want to play the game and unlock that stuff in the game, and you know <laughs> yeah. you're so mad about it, don't play the game. Don't play it. Yeah. Go if, play if, something if, you enjoy. If you love it, you'll unlock it eventually. Just like with loot box systems that you can earn via in-game progress or in-game credits. I don't have an issue with them charging for those too because we'll use the example of Overwatch. If you want to skip leveling up all those times to get, you know, each time you level up, you get a loot box. If you want to get a whole chunk of loot boxes right now and get a bunch of cosmetics and sprays and skins and taunts and all that other stuff, go nuts. Yeah, have fun with it. Yeah, I love the game, so I don't have a problem with earning those loot boxes just as I play because I'm going to play a lot, so I'm going to get a lot of loot boxes over time anyway. Mm -hmm. And I understand the argument, and I know where what people are going to say, but I still say it's baloney. Is they're going to go? Well, you know, I worked really hard to say get the ultimate uh, ogre, the ultimate item here in this game, and I want to be able to say I got this and I got it right. But now that you're allowing people to buy the entire roster, the entire pack, they have it and they didn't even have to try hard for it. And I say this, you're playing a single player game to just have fun and enjoy it for what it is. If you want to brag about something you got, you need to go play a, a game that's online with other players all the time because that's, in my opinion, where that's the only place that matters because that's the only place other people are actively at looking at your character, looking at your gear, looking at your stuff, your roster, whatever it is, and judging you. You know, yeah. what's this guy have? Why does he have the Sword of Melonia? Wow, he's, he must have beat the highest, craziest content. Well, this dude knows what he's doing. And then if you could buy that and didn't have to actually go beat the last boss or whatever it is, yeah, that's a bummer. Because yeah. now you now everyone goes, well, you probably just bought it. You, you know, you suck. No one cares. 
and now you you don't feel accomplished or good. But in a single mm-hmm. player game, this is a big reason why I, for a long time I stopped playing single player games because who cares? Nobody. Nobody yeah. cares if I grinded out this boss for 72 hours to get his last ultimate, you know, materia or whatever it is. No one cares, and I would say and at the end of the day, no, no one cares now, except for you. So, you know, in single player, anything goes. I don't yeah. care. But when it comes to online, I do have to say that uh, it is it is starting to get close, in my opinion, mm-hmm. in a lot of these games where it's like, well, it is getting pay to win. I think we should back off a little bit. Mm-hmm. But... I still, at the other end of it, say, oh, well, once again, just enjoy your damn game, however mm. you want to enjoy your game. You're talking about, like, paid skins versus in-game one skins. Again, at the same time, it's if you want to earn it yourself by, you know, proving it to yourself or others or your team or whatever, that's great. If you don't want to and it's just a skin or something, it doesn't doesn't really matter either. Mm-hmm. Just, I want my guy to look cool. I'm going to buy the Cyber Demonia skin. All right, fine. As long as there is a way for you to get those skins by grinding in the game or by completing quests and dungeons and or competitive matches or stuff, I don't see any problem with it. I mean, you know, if you, if you want to do that, you will still do that eventually. I think overall what you're saying and what I'm getting to as well is just that as long as it stays cosmetic, as long as it stays to the point where you can get most of it in-game or yeah. via buying, it's not an issue until it becomes such a state that, say, the gun of Zorbus hits. And this gun is the meta. All right. Yeah. It is the only way to play if you want to be competitive or take down bosses with the most ease, period. And all of a sudden, you can buy this gun. Mm. You can grind for it, too, but you can buy it. And at that point, it's no, 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 no. It's wrong to sell this gun because you're allowing somebody with 20 bucks or whatever it is to instantly, instantly be better than you in every way possible unless you buy that gun or get super lucky and grind it out. And then the other thing I would counter that with is you also can't have those gameplay altering or gameplay enhancing items even in a loot box system. You say, well, you know, he didn't buy it. He just bought a bunch of loot boxes and randomly got it. Well, that's still paying to get a competitive advantage or an actual gameplay advantage. I think if you're even in a loot box system, it's got to be either single player only type enhancements. Oh, I got the the gun of Zorbus, but I can only play it in one player against, you know, bosses in the game. Uh-huh. Fine, that's fine. But it's disabled in multiplayer. That's perfect. But I think if you're going multiplayer, it's got to be, you know, only boosts for, like, your overall command rank or your, you know, your system progress, but not your direct gameplay stuff. Or, you know, it's it's just got to be cosmetic or, you know, personal progress instead of actual power in the game yeah i agree wholeheartedly now there's two more things i wanted to bring up with this whole loot system thing and the first one is is what do you think about them selling uh like for example destiny 2 they sell tokens that increase the uh your experience while you're out in the world and the loot drops for like strikes uh pvp etc etc do you think that's edging too close to pay to win or is that acceptable because it's just changing a percentile on the chance at drops? Not not what kind of drops, just a percentage at drops while playing the game. I think it's I think that's still edging towards it just a little bit because like you said, you're paying for a percentage at better drops, but you can use those better drops in the game to, you know, better farm or kill bosses or you know, be in the PvP environment or whatever it is. I think it's it's just like what we said earlier. It's it's getting right up to the edge. <laughs> it's dipping it in. Whoop. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I agree. That's where I'm at with it. I feel like a lot of games are now starting to just just touch touch it and just mm. see how comfortable people are with it. And if they're not, they let them hem and haw and you know and, and shuffle around. Mm. And then touch them again, you know, like we're like we're silly little animals, you know. And you just gotta gently touch once, and then touch a little bit more next time. Mm. Oh, they're getting used to it. It's okay. And and then the other thing I would say is, 
from a consumer perspective, if I paid my money for a chance at better drops and I didn't get tangibly better drops the next time, that feels really, really bad. If I'm paying money, I want a thing like right then that I can actually touch and use, even if it's just a loot box that opens up and, hey, I didn't get anything I can really use or I got skins for a character I don't like, I at least got something. Instead of pay for a chance to get, I want pay to get, just as a consumer. Now, that leads me to the last point, and it's funny you said all that, was what do you think about the loot boxes that a lot of the games put out now, where it's pay this money for a chance at a thing. So say they say there's six things or seven things in this loot box, mm-hmm. but you're going to pay five bucks and you have no control over what of those things it's going to be. Do you think that's a dirty way to do things? Do you think that's acceptable or do you think they should have your items up for sale? Like, you know, if you got a you got one thing, it needs to be a price point on it and you can buy that thing. I think, it, again, going back to Overwatch's systems, like if I want a really cool skin for Symmetra, I I have the option of grinding in-game to pay just for that skin, or I can pay real money for loot boxes, which can randomly open up and give me four things, none of which could be the skin. So I, I don't have a problem with that so much, as long as there's a way to get specifically what you want in the game, or like at a, at a, maybe like at a higher price than the loot boxes. If... You know, if you couldn't earn skins in Overwatch and you had to just get them through loot boxes or pay like two to three bucks for that legendary skin, again, I think that's that's not a big deal. As long as there's a way to get specifically what you want, I don't have a problem with loot boxes giving you random things and there being a chance of what you want or, you know, any other things as long as they give you something every time you open them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I shouldn't have let you go on first because you just basically said exactly what I was going to say. Yeah! <laughs> was that I don't mind the loot being random as long as the option exists for the other items to be purchased singularly at maybe, like you said, a higher price. Yeah. So, you know, hey, you got to pay 5 bucks for that one skin or you can go pay 250 for this loot box, which is just going to have a couple random things and it might have that skin in it, but it might mm. also not. I think that's fine. It doesn't trouble me at all because you as a consumer, you have a choice, you know. Do you really want to see, you know, this character in their cool gonzo skin? Then, well, you know, if you got five bucks and it's really up your alley, go for it. Or, hey, you know, otherwise we're going to keep giving you in-game tokens and you can spend 250 half the price, to go get, you know, random loot boxes, which could have all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, precisely what you said. So I think overall, I'd say neither of us has anything really against the uh, the whole system, except for when it's just giving that player a direct advantage and then only in the multiplayer universe. Well, I, I will say one thing that did just pop into my head, because I know people have talked about this a lot before. The only other thing I would say as a negative is if the game is designed such that it takes so much time to grind and earn stuff that it's just prohibitive. An example that everyone says on the internet is Jim Sterling did a, I think it's like a Dungeon Keeper video. It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, hey, you expand your dungeon and unlock new rooms, but to clear one block, it takes like 24 to 48 hours. So you go into the game, you click do the block, and then you just wait for two days. Or you can spend, you know, 20 bucks to get a bunch of block-clearing things and do it right away. I think as long as the game is fun and, you know, the the wait times aren't ridiculous on their own, I don't have a problem with wait-shortening, you know, DLCs or microtransactions. But it has to be... You have to be able to play the game well and smoothly and quickly enough on its own. You know, if I don't pay, then this game is basically nothing. Which is like a lot of mobile games. Exactly. So as long as it stays out of the mobile game realm, it's not generally an issue. And and again, the example I have is Metal Gear Solid V because you have to research, you know, new platforms, new weapons, new tech. But if you're if you go and you go, okay, team, research that, and then go play a mission or two, you know, and don't think about it, it'll be like, ching, hey, new research unlocked. Oh, there it is. You know, I don't notice that it's like, oh, hey. In six days, you can get a new gun. 
mm-hmm. or you can pay money to get it right now. Gotcha. Yeah, I agree. So, bam, look at that. Everybody now knows where we stand on microtransactions. We are one with the rest of the podcasting world, Matt. We did That's it. That's right. Hooray for us. <laughs> we had our microtransaction <laughs> conversation. That's right. I feel like we could check that off in the official podcasting book. There we go. That's right. I'm going to do that right now. I hope you guys enjoyed. Our stances are pretty basic and understandable and easy. Bada bing, bada boom. Fantastic. Imposters wrap up. So what do you guys think about microtransactions? You can tell us your feedback on that, or you can send us any other questions, comments, concerns. If you just want to say hi, you can do that via email at info at thirdshift.me. You can tweet at us at thirdshiftme, and you can find us on Facebook under Third Shift. And as you may or may not know, we do have a Patreon set up. We, as always, we'd love to thank all of our current patrons. We appreciate everything you guys are doing for us. It keeps us going. It keeps us motivated. Everything we get does go to helping the podcast in some way, shape, or form. If you've got a buck, 50 cents, whatever it is, we treat it like a tip jar. Just head on over there, throw it in. And if you don't have a buck because money's tight because that's the way the world works, understandable, no big deal. We're here regardless. You know, Throw us a comment. Throw us a like. Throw us a five-star rating. Throw us a mailbag question. Any of those things make us feel good. And, of course, this podcast drops every two weeks on Tuesday, so we'll be back in your ear holes on the 17th of October for our very next episode. And you can find those episodes on iTunes, on Stitcher, and on Podbean. And if you like what we're doing and you'd like to help us out a little bit, please give us a rating, a like, a review, a subscription, feedback, comments, any kind of good thing on any one of those good services because it does help us out and we really do appreciate it. Five star, five star, five star. And Matt, I say with that, hey, don't Don't forget forget to say. say.